All right, welcome. And thank you guys for joining us. We have a lot of people here, Amy and Annette, Carol, Claudia, Jackie, Nancy, Dawn, Julia, Diane, I love this. Um, we have a very big uh, webinar for you guys tonight. We have 320 people that have registered for this webinar. It's very exciting. And we're going to be talking today with a multi-purpose approach to myofascial release. And I've got some really great experts with us today, but one thing I want you to do is do me a favor, move your mouse, go to the bottom of your screen. You're gonna see that green share button. Don't click on the green share button. Go next to it, click on the chat box, open it up if you would. Sign in, tell me your name and where you're from. You know, you don't even have to say, tell me your name. Just tell me where you're from, type in where you're from, We'd love to hear from you because this is your webinar. And if you have questions, I want you to ask them. I see people from New York and Toronto and Nebraska and Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Virginia, all over the place, a couple Washington. This is great. Annapolis, Maryland, a couple from Canada. Very excited about all of you guys joining us. Alaska. Oh my God, people actually live there. Okay, so it's... <laughs> It's really neat. Type in your questions. If as we drift along, you have specific questions that you want to address, this is this is your way to address it. We are recording this. I have wonderful Beth Caney helping me today, and we're going to be recording it and we'll be releasing it tomorrow because we find out that like two thirds of people just want to listen to the recording while they're driving to their class or to their client. Um, we have Dr. and I'm not even going to do the last name. Okay, Sebak is joining us. He's a doctor of chiropractic and corrective exercise specialist. He's a soft tissue expert with certifications in both active release and grasp and techniques. He has 20 years of experience integrating physical therapy and chiro um, chiropractic care, and he has a multidisciplinary setting and is a passionate activist for health and wellness. So we're very excited to have Dr. Sevek. He's also the creator of the IntelliRoll. There you go. Now you get to point to it. Where is it? Go on. It's in the back. It's that blue thing. It's really cool. I have one of them. I love it. Love it. Love it. What we're going to be approaching is the myofascial release is used to relieve tightness in our myofascial tissue which surrounds and supports all our muscles. And with a wide range of techniques and equipment available, how can we best serve our clients? And that's what we're gonna talk about today. Um, how do we maintain range of motion, strength, balance, flexibility, how can it help us? And we also have Sue Hitzman, not Heitzman, Hitzman. I do this all the time, I, I mispronounce her name. She's a nationally recognized neurofascial science and research educator. She's a manual therapist and exercise physiologist and founding member of the Fascia Research Society. She also is the CEO of Longevity Fitness, an online consumer and professional uh, educational resource. And she's the founder and creator of MELT. It is a wonderful method, absolutely wonderful method. And I'm honored to have Sue here. Yeah. You know, as Dr. K, I'm not quite sure about you. Just kidding. All right. <laughs> and we've got Dr. Emily, who I haven't seen 
for like over two years, I told her, I said, the last time I saw you, you were just enormous pregnant. And her daughter is two years old. And it's amazing. I can't believe this pandemic has taken us along this way. Um, she's a podiatrist, human movement specialist. She's the founder of Evidence-Based Fitness Academy, creator of the Barefoot Training Specialist, um, inventor of Naboso Barefoot Technology. She's been over 21 years in the fitness industry. She's a wealth of knowledge and being a podiatrist, she always starts with the ground up. So following her lead, I'm starting with her, okay? Oh. And now the first question I have, and I know this sounds a little bit ridiculous because I know the real answer, but how can we determine if a client would benefit from myofascial release? So I believe, and I'm sure that everyone on the panel would believe that really everyone can benefit from addressing their connective tissue. Uh, when we think about self-myofascial release, we are influencing our connective tissue or that uh, saran wrap that's around all of our muscles and our bones and our tendons. So doing a assessment and being very specific or as specific as you can. As a podiatrist, I start from the ground up. So I'm looking at their feet. Are they standing to everted or pronated where they roll in? Or are they a little bit more out, which is supinated or inverted? And then based off of that foundation, you can determine how it's going to affect the knees, hips, and pelvis all the way up. So as a quick example, if someone is standing more everted or pronated, they're going to start to roll their legs inwards, their knees might knock in, which is valgus, the pelvis is going to roll forward. So myofascially, just looking at that, you're going to say, okay, there's going to be tightness, adhesion, stickiness in the everters of the foot, which are the perineals would be a big one, lateral gastroc into the internal rotators of the hip. Your adductors is mm -hmm. going to be a really aggressive muscle there. Your TFL is also very aggressive. And then also the muscles that pull you into an anterior tilt. So the specificity of looking at from the ground up or feet first, feet up, will help to start to give some guidance on which muscles. Um, so really the biggest takeaway is the more specific you can be to the muscles that you're targeting and understand your why, I then find that you have the greatest success because we mm -hmm. also don't have time to release every muscle in your body every day. <laughs> There's just not enough time to do it. So try to be specific based off of that assessment that you're doing. Yeah, you were very uh, funny at the before we turned the camera and you were talking about, well, people can people come in to see you and they've rolled their entire body out <laughs> telling you, and I'm still in pain. Yeah. And, and I think it was Sue, I think Sue, what did you, what was your response? I said, what are you doing with that roller? Are you just yeah. ironing yourself like a shirt thinking you're going to flatten something out? And do we, do we understand <laughs> what we're doing? Do we understand what self myofascial releases or science? I mean, not even just scientifically, but just practically, like what is actually happening in the body when you touch yourself with any object, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what tool you're using or if you're or you're working with a therapist or you're using your own hands. I think the idea is what, like, do we actually understand what's happening both in the nervous system and in the fascial system so that we can begin to strategize a plan for our clients and, and I think educate them. But I think more importantly, I think it would be great if the industry itself got more educated in what 
neuroscience and fascial research are and, and the research that's available. I think that would be well, a great point. You know, let's take that step back and, you know, start with that foundation. Like, why do we need myofascial release? How does it benefit us? Well, I think what we need to understand is that connective tissue is a three-dimensional fluid-based matrix under your skin. It is the stability system of your body, along with the autonomic aspects of your nervous system and fascia. These are the two systems that support, protect, and stabilize every aspect of your body, skin to bone, head to toe. The, the fascial system is, is integral in joint stability and how your organs function in cell-to-cell -cell communication, into neural communication, sensory communication. So it's, it's an important system that is not of the fitness industry. And the research that's come up in the last 25 years has really kind of changed how we understand fascia today. And just even in the last five years, I mean, some of the research is really turning uh, a, a quick corner on, on looking at it microscopically and understanding it. So I think that just in general, we understand the fluid components of fascia and the collagen matrix are so critical to function. We should know how to address that and implement it into fitness because in this day and age, people are coming to personal trainers who are injured. They're not going to the doctors or the therapists first. They're, they're looking to a personal trainer in the fitness realm. So that's important that they know yeah, what it is. It, it's very interesting what's happening now is you go to the doctor and you're so lucky if you get to talk to them honestly for seven or eight minutes. That's the limitation. And so we are their resources, Sue. I totally agree with you. And when we were originally trained and certified, it was bones, muscles, tendons, and ligaments. That those were the three structures and that's all we were really educated with. And now we've got this illumination coming. Um, and how do you determine if someone would benefit from Sue from, from the myofascial release? Well, again, I guess it just, first it depends upon how you're defining self-myofascial release. If I said, how would somebody benefit from my understanding of self-myofascial release or using MELT is to me, I think that what we're doing is we're offering an education, a self-personalized education on how to sense our bodies before we have pain, to actually mm. sense when there's imbalances or pre-pain signals is what I call them, these common imbalances that many people possess. And if you can start to hone in on that and understand that that's fascial related, these common imbalances are very fascial related. And if we understood that, we could maybe deter some of the very common pain problems, low back pain, neck pain, even the upper and lower cross syndromes that we were talking about before we got online. Those, before we have these diagnoses, we had, issues in our connective tissues. We just need to know how to treat it so that we can mitigate the changes that adapt through daily living. And um, Dr. K, um, do people come to you, you know, you, you're a chiropractor. Mm -hmm. So they're coming to you and I'm assuming that some of them are already uncomfortable when they get there. And so- Vast uh, when majority. The, pardon me? Vast majority, you know, I, I've always, I thought in 20 years, you know, people would come preventatively and really take their spinal health seriously and really understand their needs before, because, you know, and she, Sue's shaking her head, she's like, no, nope. and she's right, you know, it's strange, you know, I think we prioritize when there's pain and, the, you know, our, our lives are challenging, you know, and so I, I understand and, and I, I would have thought that would have shifted, I always try to, um, bring example to the dental industry, you know, and, and dental health. And it turns out it wasn't dentist. It was like 
uh, Colgate or somebody that created toothpaste and then made, you know, marketed brushing people's teeth. And I thought, you know, personal trains are really well positioned to really help people because people are coming there with an intrinsic motivation, not an extrinsic motivation of pain. And I think that's what hard, hard for pr pr providers. I think um, Dr. Emily will agree, you know, there's an extrinsic motivation to get out of pain versus to improve. So you got to get them out of the crisis and then help them understand self-care strategies. And did I, did you, I, was that I answer yeah, the question? That was perfect. Perfect. And how do you determine if a client would benefit from myofascial release? Because you're dealing with this pain. Right. And there's got to be a solution or a way out. You know, it's so interesting. I'm, I'm thinking about uh, all the different techniques I like, or, or the um, priorities or the way of looking at the body. Like Dr. Emily stands from the bottom up and like thinking about the, the neural complex, the way Sue described it. You know, we're all um, have our own viewpoint, I suppose. You know, if I see a patient and they're complaining of back pain, I take an x-ray, you know, and I, I do an exam, but I take an x-ray. And say on the x-ray, they've, they've got this inclination. They're, they're literally stuck 19 degrees at, to one direction. So the first question to me is behaviorally, what are they doing that maybe created that? Is there structural issues downstream that are creating? But nonetheless, the, the structure is now stuck like that. So I know if it's stuck like that, I know as an example, they're stuck to the right, the right tissue is really shortened. So in, our, in the rehab setting, we say lengthen before you strengthen or mobilize before you stabilize. So I know mm -hmm. if I'm going to have that person start doing a bunch of strengthening exercises for their back, but they're stuck like this, you know, and they're, now they're just trying to strengthen. It doesn't make any sense. So they've got to lengthen that tissue, try to get the structure so it can support the integration of those exercises. So the answer to that is as soon as possible in a comfortable manner. So they adopt it as a habit. Okay, a great answer. Very great. And we've got a good question. Don just asked something, excuse me for leaning in to actually be able to read it. Is there an age range when people who benefit from the recovery created with myofascial release? Do you need more time for older clients and shorter time for younger clients? Is there, it, do you see some type of trend um, with, with age, uh, Dr. Emily? That is a very good question mm -hmm. and absolutely one of my, the, the thought that comes to my mind right away is as we age and you start to get more free radicals in your body, which is inflammation, inflammation is sticky. And mm -hmm. as people process sugar less effectively, then we start to actually get these non-enzymatic crosslinks in our body. And there is research that shows as we get older, diabetics, people that, again, are processing uh, sugar less effectively, start to get uh, this contracture in their fascial tissue, uh, which can lead to decreased mobility, which leads to compensation patterns, to pain. So I definitely do believe in uh, making it a priority. Of course, everyone should do it, but making sure if you're doing a active aging fitness program that, that myofascial release and mobility and addressing this increasing cross-linking with age uh, is really important. That is, you know, one important aspect that I want to make sure is put across on that. And then just other one really fast is that your fascial tissue is packed with millions of sensory nerves and I'm a huge advocate of reducing falls as we get older. And the more that you can actually feel your physical body and space, 
you will be able to control that body. And doing fascial stimulation is a great way to improve balance and self-awareness. Oh, very interesting. And um, we did get another question. I'd love to learn what are the most common issues the panelists see related to myofascial and what are the methods to access these um, in a patient? So what's one of the most common, I wanna say pains, issues, you know, that you see, Sue, when you're dealing with patients and clients? I mean, flat out, it's awareness. They're not aware mm. of anything, right? They, they're focused on a symptom, but they don't, they don't really know what's going on or they, they have no sense of themselves. So you, you get people who are sensory overloaded. And mm. in this day and age, we just have so much incoming stress in our lives from work to kids to just the way that the pace to which people are living their lives, they're not, they just don't rest. And when a person doesn't rest, their nervous system can't rest either in a sense. We actually train our nervous system to stay in a high stress state. So I think that's a huge piece of the problem is just getting people to be aware even when they're like, I'm not stressed out. I don't have any stress in my body. I'm perfectly fine. And you're like, you're stressing me out just saying it. I'm, I'm nervous now by what's happening, right? So I think the first thing is, is getting them to become more aware of their common imbalances. Like, so we, we do something we call a rest assess. We lie people on their back and we get them to evaluate the amount of tissue tension mm. that is existing in their body in a resting state. Like some people literally feel like they're levitating from the ground because the mass weight of the body is not resting. It's very tense and lifted. So bringing mm. that awareness and giving them a baseline and then treating them in, in a way like working on their diaphragm, getting them to breathe differently, getting them to focus on uh, their inhalation and their exhalation in unique ways, and then getting them off the roller and reassessing and feeling their masses feel different, feeling their weight di distribution differently, that can alter that sensory motor pathway. And very similar to what Emily is saying is as we age, we lose the sense of ourselves. And in collagen, right, we have type one and type three collagen. We're not only producing less collagen as we age, the collagen quality declines. So we need to stimulate this system and become more aware of the sensitivity that's in our bodies that we're unaware of because the stress response leaves us not really feeling what's really going on. So there's a lot of stuff. It's kind of like, you know, looking at the ocean and, and going, oh, there's no waves today. It's like, oh, but the current's there. Mm. Right, yeah, it's, it's under what you see. So that's, again, it's an investigation type and of it's, process. It's very difficult because as fitness professionals, what a lot of us do is come on, push through it, hmm. go for it, keep, and you're, you're, you train your body to ignore the discomfort and ignore the, the, the pain that you might be feeling because you're going to get a reward for ignoring it. And then we have to slow down and listen to our body as to what's going on. So I think that's pretty fascinating. We got another question from Leslie. Can myofascial release help Parkinson's patients? Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. K, have you worked with anyone yes. with Parkinson's? And yes. Yes, please go ahead. Yes. Uh, um, you know, it's not a common patient, but I'm, I'm treating one right now. I had, had one recently. Um, I, I don't understand, I think, the neuroscience in the way I think Sue really has dove into, and I really respect and appreciate that. But I find that it brings it, it, it calms down their tremors because I think they get sensory input and, and it's we're not I'm not addressing them in any significantly different way than well, we take it slower, 
you know, obviously a lot more breathing, a lot more trying to get them to um, become more connected to their body. And so in the process of foam rolling, they, like other patients, have to really slow down to get into their parasympathetic, you know, and I think, Sue, you appreciate when I say that because they're, they're, you, you can't get somebody, what I realized at a really early, early age, it, and maybe I'm just, I'm already in, I'm very sensory. So from surfing injuries, I, I discovered massage therapy and, and when they would, you know, put their elbow into a knot, I would go into this like deep relaxed state and, and it was part of a trust maybe, but it, it gave me tremendous relief. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, the tension was lower. So I try to use it as a form of not just self-massage, self-myofascial release, but really meditating and trying to get into that parasympathetic state so you can release some of that, the tension. Otherwise your body can't appreciate it. And it sometimes takes patients a couple of weeks before they can actually benefit from it because they're, we're so programmed to believe that all pain is bad. And, and then, and then you can take a pill and get rid of it, you know? And so when you first induce discomfort on them through whether touch or self-massage using foam rollers, there's often in the patient base that we, we were getting, our patient base is getting older, um, like myself, thank God. And, um, and when we do that, we, we see that it takes time for them to appreciate the benefit that they're going to get afterwards. So there's a lot of like talking them through deep breathing. And I didn't realize how much the breathing I was working on people's breath. I really, it wasn't a focus per se, but I've come to appreciate that that's a really big part of it. And really appreciating this discussion because it's, mm -hmm. it's our life's work. And so I appreciate it, everything you guys are bringing to the table. Yeah, that it, it's, it is, it's pretty interesting. You know, um, uh, Dr. Emily, we also got another question about tools. What tools are best to use for myofascial release? Foam rollers are some better than others. Okay, Dr. K, we're going to get to you. But, uh, <laughs> but I, are there particular you know, are there inexpensive devices? Are there different devices? Is, are there different things you, you find that work better? Well, without or first saying the IntelliRoll, Melt, and the Nervosa Neural Ball, I would say those three. <laughs> outside of that, outside of that, that, right? <laughs> um, so and I'll, I'll let Sue maybe speak about some of the durometer, the hardness of the foam rollers, because I know that's something that's uh, an important part of your work. But what I look at as a podiatrist that works with primarily chronic movement disorders, so MS, Parkinson's, movement mm. dysfunction, chronic pain. So a very unique population that I need to think of a tool that is going to actually be accessible to the individual, mm. meaning if they have a hard time getting up and down off of the floor mm -hmm. using a traditional foam roller is going to be very difficult for them. Um, with the neural ball, just have to say it though, is it splits into two pieces. So it's two domes. Hmm. Why we designed it that way is that we were recommending like a tennis ball, lacrosse ball, something round to release the feet with individuals with balance issues. And that's very disconcerting for someone who's scared of falling to then stand on something that's rolling. Um, so that's part of that accessibility. Is it stable? It's two domes, we're great. Um, these uh, percussive therapy, Theraguns, and all of those that are very, very trendy right now. If 
an individual wants to be kind of lazy <laughs> about the recovery work, then they are going to move more towards a percussive therapy, therapy device because you don't have to be on the floor and doing this releasing. It's just trends that I see in some of the patients that if they're going to do percussive therapy, okay, great. Um, I'm actually a big fan of vibration rollers because the vibration has an inhibitory effect mm -hmm. to the neuromuscular aspect of this release that we're doing. Um, but again, can they get on the floor? Could they use it? Um, any of the stick type ones where you're releasing, those are very friendly for people who can't get on the floor very easily. Um, so that's kind of the insight that I would share is what's accessible, what is mm -hmm. What's the best that you can do for this individual, even if you believe something else is truly better for them, but that's not that's not in their wheelhouse, mm -hmm. so they're not going to be compliant. So um, hopefully yeah, that helps. absolutely, absolutely, it's like the, the first rule of training: find something that they like that they will do, then they'll be successful, and they'll blame it on you. It's great. It's it's, it's a pretty <laughs> sim pretty simple solution. I do apologize. I've, everybody can probably tell I have a cold. But I did um, sue um, one of our one of our uh, people that are attending. Actually, said Melt has helped me with my MS. And yeah. can you kind of elaborate on why that might why that might be? Well, I mean, again, I, I would say two things because I, I actually want to feed off of something that uh, Dr. Emily had said. You know, to me, I don't think it's so much about the tool as much as it's about the techniques. And that means that you have to, it, you know, she's saying it, you have to meet your clients where they're at, make a plan, and what are they willing to do? What could they do on their own? And can I give them homework that they can go home and do, right? So in the case of MS, the problem with MS is that there's so many variables. Every person that I've ever worked with with MS has a different symptom, uh, slightly different diagnoses. There's many, there's many different types of MS. You know, is it, is it in the brainstem? Is it in the brain? Is it, is it, are there, are there lesions? What, what's happening in their body? What are their symptoms? So for most of the clients that I've had with MS, the first thing that we're trying to do is improve their sleep, improve their sensory awareness, improve their mobility and their stability. So if they have, you know, we, we wanna watch how they're moving and whether it's the foot treatment or rebalancing techniques or a neck decompress or whatever it is, it's specific to the client of how we strategize the plan for them. So again, there's like I always say, there's no one melt map for a thing, you have low back pain, it's not like this is the low back pain treatment. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it really is a process of moving through different body regions and seeing what the end result is. And the closer you get to the ideal outcome, which is less pain, better stability, better mobility, if that's where we're at, now we can figure out a strategy for them and give them something to go home with and use time and again. Yeah, it's, it's, that's great. And what's you do? I mean, Sue, don't you do training online using? Yeah, all, yes, we have. Our, yes, exactly. Our instructor trainings, there's five levels of instructor training all but, online. So instead of doing a five day training, it's a three month curriculum. Okay. And about <laughs> training clients, do you train clients online? Oh, all the time. Okay. So we got a, a question from Diane. What's the best way to show clients how to do myofascial release online when you can't be in person? You can't give them hands-on help or correction or advice. Yeah, you so use visual, you use visual and, and verbal cueing. 
And so the idea is, do you know what it looks like when somebody is doing a technique correctly? And that would mean that you would need to know the technique, right? That, like the, the thing about foam rolling, and I've already said this, is just because you iron yourself like a shirt and find a lumpy area and dig it out, you're not going to win an award for inflicting pain on your body, nor will you actually make any neurofascial changes that could perhaps benefit you. May, you may or may not. Just because you're rolling and, oh, it hurts, doesn't mean you're doing anything. So I think there's a little bit more of a process of getting getting the building of awareness, the assessment protocols, then treatment, then reassessment protocols. And most of the self-myofascial release world is, is not that. It's just, here's what you do when your hamstrings feel tight, roll on your bottom, you know? But is that really doing what, is that giving you an outcome that you want, right? And so I think the thing when you're teaching somebody online is to be inquisitive, ask a lot of questions, learn how to assess them for common imbalances, learn to see where they meet them where they're at, and then begin to learn how do how does this person learn? Do they learn by verbal? Or do I or am I saying something to them? Get on the roller. I want you to to put the roller um, just above your knee. And then you look at them and the roller's down near their ankle. And you have to say, no, 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 watch me. And you have to get on the ground and show them and then say, try it again. Mm -hmm. And so now you know they're a visual learner. So when you're teaching them, you should be you should be demonstrating while teaching, right? And then there's other people mm -hmm. where you don't need to be demonstrating anything. You can just cue them and they will do it. And then there are those people who are tactile learners and people who are mm -hmm. tactile learners when you're unavailable to be there. I tell them, I want you to put your hands right here on your pelvis and I want you to feel your pelvis mm -hmm. tuck and I want you to feel your pelvis tilt you understand yeah and when they put their hands on their bodies and they feel it now you know that they're a tactile learner and if you're not available to touch them ask them to touch themselves uh that's a little personal but okay we should all touch <laughs> ourselves more i am sorry but we should we should touch every square inch of our bodies and not be afraid to talk about it and i mean that on every level we should touch ourselves Bravo. more and um and we'll be doing another webinar on that. Okay, but <laughs> one of the things what I what I really like what Sue has explained is that I have found that when I'm teaching online, I have to do a lot more demonstrating. Yes. I really do because it really helps them. And I came up with some stuff in yoga that when let's say I'm doing a triangle, I'm like, touch your ribs, touch your shoulder, reach your arm up. And by, by touching themselves, they got that openness and it did help. So I really like that question. Um, that was really great advice, Sue. And I think, what da, da, Diane agrees. Um, mm -hmm. Dr. K, you brought up some things about when people age, as, as mm -hmm. people are aging. And you said more people are getting older. And um, I read a, I, I read a lot. I do this talk show. We're doing the talk show tomorrow. We do it every, every once a month, usually on a Wednesday at about one o'clock central time. It's talks and takes. Beth, I'm going to ask you to put the link in there, but it's a lot of fun. And we do like, I'm one of um, four panelists. It's put on by Ursa. And what I, um, of course, I'm the only woman in the room. I'm always the only woman in the room except for now, Dr. K, you're the only guy in the room. But I do a lot, I've been doing a lot of research on active aging. You know what? People on average are li living six years longer. Oh yeah. Isn't that six years, not like six months, 
six years. And we've got to think about the quality of that life because what we also have, I have a great fear for, for my kids having to pay for all of this mm. because of all the added medical expenses that are going to go along. And we're going to have to do prehab rather than rehab. So I love that you brought up age and answered that so eloquently, but explain to us what equipment, why did you invent the Intellirol? Like what equipment do you find that people use? And you might have to actually stand up and dis. I, I can grab it. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you just, um, we, we there, there was an answer you said earlier about um, find the thing that, that's most comfortable and use it. And I think that's what I appreciate about what Sue's done with the melt method. I created the Intellirol, I'll grab it. Um, I created it out of need, frankly. You know, I had a traumatic head injury and I couldn't access the paraspinals and the upper thoracic because of the uh, shoulder blades. So we just, you know, took a traditional foam roller and, and put a couple of uh, tracks in it for the shoulder blades and then, you know, slot for the spine. We weren't the first people to do a slot for the spine. It existed. It was just not balanced. So the ends are the same. So it's very balanced. I was thinking about the... Um, the patient with a disc herniation, the patient with stenosis, advanced degeneration, all these conditions that come across our clinic. So safety was number one. It's always the, the thought. And um, what we discovered is that the curved surfaces, and I think, and Sue, I, I, I don't know as much as, but I've heard, you know, patients have talked a lot about the melt method. It's actually quite soft and right. Correct. It's, there's a degree of give to it. Yeah. And our, so, ours are very soft. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think there's a good argument to be made for what they're doing. And, and so what we discovered is a curved surface area matched mm -hmm. the contour of the body. So the distribution of the pressure was more, uh, there was better distribution, so there's less guarding. And I read about a study that said it, they found the, the density of the foam roller didn't change the outcomes they were looking at. Mm -hmm. So they had three different densities and the outcomes came out the same. And I, what I came away with with that was what the patient is comfortable with at the end of the day. And, and if they can, if they're, if they do it consistently, it's a win. And, and that's the idea, you know, is to allow them to do it consistently. So we've actually are in the process of making a softer model because, you know, I have this error of judgment because I love deep tissue so much because it puts me in this like total, like calm state, but I've had to really over my 20 years learn that different people respond differently depending on different factors. So we use vibratory percussors in the clinic. We use the rollers, we use balls, we use, we use it all. We use, you know, instrument assisted, but I, I always say there has to be carryover. And so the person has to go home and, and find a way to reproduce that on their own so they can do it consistently. So, you know, Intel is one way. So would, would you, that was great. And Dr. K, would can you send us, a link to that article that talks about uh, the density or softness of the, yes. of the rollers. I would love that. And we always can include some of this when we do the, um, the uh, when we resend out the recording, we'll make sure to include that. Thank you. That was really welcome. interesting. Well, you do that? I found the same thing with my foam rolling is that my kids were using that black one that is just like it, it feels like a piece of wood and they're rolling on it and they're athletes. I got, I got um, a hockey player. I've got a jujitsu dude, you know, and they're all like 
rolling and they're grunting and they said, mom, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. So I started doing it. I woke up the next day. I was bruised. I was like, this was their way to get back at me for when they were a teenager. And I probably caught, caught them smoking pot in the basement. And it, not that my kids ever did that. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, um, but it's, we work my, my, um, physical therapist actually works with a smaller foam roller that's much softer. And she works with a lot of older people with that. And hello, she worked with me with that. And it was wonderful. And it falls right into what you're saying. And we did get a question and I'm just going to throw this out. I mean, Dr. Emily, maybe you have advice, you know, Sue, Dr. K, whatever. Are there any strategies out there for adherence with athletes to make these athletes buy into the recovery. Now I'm going to be the first one to, to answer this a little bit. I don't have as much trouble getting athletes to mm -hmm. do it. The people I have trouble doing it is the ones that need it. The mm -hmm. individuals that might be immobile, but are there any tricks, you know, Dr. Emily, I see you smiling, but are there any tricks you use with your clients to get them to do it? And to maintain, yeah, saying, commit? You know, whether, whether they're an athlete or Joe Schmo, you know, weekend warrior, whoever they are. Um, I have just 10 years of being a physician, have mastered the art of compliancy. I don't know if I've mastered it, but Dr. K could probably <laughs> see on that. that oh, I, do I, not give, I do not give too much to a patient at once. I have, ah, I very slowly drip it in. 100%. I like multiples of three because people can just kind of, it's a little bit more tangible and achievable. I want them to buy in on the lifestyle of it. I say, it's not a quick fix. This is a lifestyle, what I teach you, which means uh, like, I believe in releasing your feet every day. So it has to be five minute foot release when you brush your teeth, right? Mm. It's easy. We're multitasking it. You're doing it consistently. It's a time that is doable. And then you do that day, day, day. We talk again in six weeks, I add something else, right? And I would give a couple other things. There's typically a pelvic floor release and diaphragmatic breathing. But for that client is just think of a couple little habits to do consistently to make it a lifestyle or a habit. And then you build off of that. And, and then you get the intrinsic motivation that Dr. K was talking about. I, I love That's it. I 100% agree. I, I try to pair things because I think the memory works if you can pair things together. So I love threes or twos. I do these two, these two, try to connect it with, um, you know, our habits are formed from uh, a cue and a reward. And the, the hard part with self-myofascial release is that the, the, re the, the reward comes from having to induce a little bit of discomfort on oneself, whether it's stretching or myofascial release. Um, so it's hard to get that um, habit, but it's really about trickling it in. So I think less is more. You know, if I could say that, to, that was the biggest learning lesson early on. You know, I wanted to just help this person so much. I'd give them 10 things to do and they'd never come back. You know, <laughs> it was, it was, it was it, overload yeah. and they couldn't, they were like, oh, run for the hills. It's too much. It's, so I agree. I always say like, eat the elephant one bite at a time. Right. Yeah. Right. hundred percent. Can yeah. I also add, I think that any, anybody who wants to help someone, first of all, you have to learn how to create rapport and be a good listener. And so 
I, I, I mean, we have, like, I could deliver, when somebody asks me, what is the melt method? I don't tell them what the melt method is. I tell them why they should do it. So if it was a person who was in pain, I'd say the melt method is a simple self-care technique to help you get out and stay out of pain so that you can get back into your active lifestyle. If it's an athlete, I'd say to them, do you want to be an athlete for a short period of time or would you like to be an athlete and athletic for your whole life? And if they said my whole life, then I said, well, then melt is a simple self-care technique to help you improve your performance and decrease your risk of injury so that you can play stronger, play harder and win more games. It's the same methodology. I'm going to teach these two people the exact same thing, but this person wants to be an, a, a high performance athlete and this person wants to be able to get up off a chair without you know, struggling. So it's just, you have to learn to speak to your clients and not be always the teacher, but also to be a listener and then to say back. So what, if I'm hearing you right, what mm. you want to do is improve your performance and, and be stronger and mitigate some of the common issues that happen in your game, like, you know, knee strain or whatever. Yes, that's what I want to do. Okay, let's create a plan that's going to get you there. And then let's, let's make it really simple. And then when you're ready to learn more, I'll teach you more so that you'll win more games or whatever it is. But you have to just learn to speak to people in a way that gets them to understand you're listening to them, you care about them, and you want to give them what they want. And that's, that's what you do. And remind them why they came, you know, like sometimes they'll, yeah. they'll, they want the outcome, but then you have to get into the work of it. Well, and, when they say, yeah, but I this, or yeah, but I didn't have, I'm like, don't yeah, but me, if I'm the one trying to help you, or you trying to just give me your money, right? I don't want right. to just give, you know, no. so again, but that's speaking to your client in a way that gets them to recognize that you're here to help them. And you're not here to you know, bullshit them or argue with them or complain about whatever where you don't want to, you don't want to commiserate with your problems. I just want to find a solution. So let's focus on that. And when they go down that rabbit hole of why they can't do anything, I just veer them back over of why they should. And yeah. this is interesting. I mean, Sue, a couple times now you've brought up the aspect of sleep and that seems to be very important. Huge. It's on everybody's mind. There's, there's a lot of recovery techniques. People do sleep um, monitoring on their watch. They're mm -hmm. doing the rings, the whoop rings. My son does it to find out how he's sleeping. And it says, has, it, we got um, uh, has a question. Has anyone else had trouble getting to sleep if they do myofascial release right before bedtime? <laughs> Sue, do you, yeah. do you find yes. it assists? Is there a certain time frame that exactly. works or is it person by person? A lot of times it's person by person, but I always say if somebody has a pain problem, you want to melt up to one hour before you go to bed, not right before you go to bed, but about an hour before, because when you do compress or you do tension techniques that are directed toward fascia, you are going to stimulate the sensory nervous system, which is going to create a, a brain response. And so sometimes people do that and then they feel invigorated. So we want to mm -hmm. give them techniques that are going to help aid in sleep. And Dr. K had mentioned the parasympathetic nervous system, mm -hmm. right? So the stress response, the stress regulator is what's on all day long. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the parasympathetic or the repair regulator, although it weaves in and out of a day, we're so stressed out, most people, that we wait for sleep to actually get the repair processes to work. But at night, that's when people will have a hard time falling asleep and then staying asleep. They'll get up to go to the bathroom. And that's actually a sign that your autonomic nervous system is having a hard time kind of sloughing off all of the junk that you've put in it all day, all the stress that you've had, and, and it can't quite regulate. So you wake up the next day with a backlog of that accumulative stress. And that's how you kind of 
wreak havoc on the sympathetic responsiveness of the body where you're just so high wired that pain is higher. You have a higher tendency toward pain because your, your body can't rest. So mm -hmm. for us, we often give people like something simple, like a rebalance sequence where you're just working on the breathing or a neck release, something very passive, small local regions of the body. Whereas if you, you know, we're going to uh, go run right after you run is a great time to do compression techniques to move that fluid flow back around your joints because you've pushed it out in a sense uh, and it's a great prep before you work out just five ten minutes uh, working on a specific region so that you're helping the joints stay more hydrated just stay more mobile so again it does depend but, but if you have trouble sleeping or if you have pain up to an hour before you go to bed is what i would that's tell a, you that's a great great advice um we're getting close to the end. I'm gonna, we've got a very exciting event that's coming up April 22nd through 24th. It's a live streaming certification event. It's really fun. I'm gonna show you guys a short video here. Um, here we go. about the conference because we feel like we all need a boost. We all need to get back into the world, try something new, teach something different. And this is a great way to do it very inexpensively. This is a lot of the certifications are, are almost less than half price. So that's kind of fun to do. Thank you, Beth. She put the link in the chat box for us. Dr. Emily, I want to thank you. Dr. K, I want to thank you. Thank you. Sue, I want to thank you. You guys are wonderful. And the next webinar is all going to be how to touch yourself. Uh, thank you for that inspiration, Sue. You're all welcome. Right. <laughs> Excuse me. So I want to thank you all for joining us tonight. And I'll see you all next Tuesday. And hopefully we'll see you at Certification Smash. Take care, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you. Pleasure to meet you all.